0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock, our redeemer, our comfort and joy. Amen. Please be seated. Last year, amid all else that was happening, movies were still being released. One of these movies was Sound of Metal, starring Riz Ahmed. The film centers on Ruben, a heavy metal drummer and a recovering addict who discovers quite early in the film that he's losing his sense of hearing. I will be sharing spoilers from this movie. The movie opens with a shot of Ruben at his drum set in a darkened room. He sits motionless, a spotlight full blaze on him. He's tense and coiled, fingers gripping his drumsticks, his eyes wide with waiting. We hear nothing but the tuning of an electric guitar. Then sound starts to seep in, a trickle, and then a flow until the roar of a heavy metal concert hits us like a wave. Reuben comes to life, all his coiled energy unleashed in an onslaught of drums, drum beats. He locks eyes with his singer and partner, Lou. The two of them are tightly in sync. Lou, as she wails into a mic, Reuben, as the drumsticks almost leap out of his hands. After the, that, the movie cuts to Lou and Reuben in their RV sleepily waking up and carrying out the simple routines of their peripatetic, touring life. Reuben soon realizes that his hearing is disappearing permanently. This revelation changes everything. He starts flailing, casting about, demanding solutions, demanding plans. We see the fear in his partner's eyes and in his own. Through fascinating use of sound editing, the movie itself often puts us into the midst of what Ruben is experiencing, what he's hearing. The way pitches change for him and the sounds cut out. At times, all we, the audience, hear is a loud ringing. I can't hear you, Lou, Ruben shouts, and we, the audience, cannot hear her either. Watching this movie, hearing this movie, experiencing this movie can be quite disorienting at times. The sound is gone and we are left with Reuben swimming in his silent frustration, trying to make sense of it all. I think in some ways our scriptural world of Amos can feel similarly disorienting. The world has been turned upside down The prophet paints a picture of desolation where mighty rocks now lie in a heap and life-giving streams of justice have become poisoned as wormwood. Hope seems to go nowhere. Those who plant vineyards will not harvest the fruit. Those who build houses will not rest within the walls. This is the curse of futility, as some scholars call it, that appears throughout the prophetic scriptures, a reminder that we do not own the future no matter how much we might try to control the present. Amos very clearly tells us what not to do right now. Don't look to other places to save you. Pull your eyes back from Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Look at your own gate. Do not cross over into Beersheba. As Bruce pointed out from his pulpit a few weeks ago, We hear this motif often. While we might want to look far and wide for injustices, the prophets point us back, back to our own nation, back to our own worship spaces, back to our very hearts. These are places where even now we work hard to build idols, oppress others and forsake our Lord. A few weeks ago, Dr. Stephen Chapman of Duke Divinity School, who's well-known in this pulpit on this campus, taught a Christian education class looking at the minor prophets as a whole, preparing those who tuned in for our summer series that we are going through now. Dr. Chapman pointed out that while we often think of the minor prophets, Amos, Malachi, Micah, as a series of individual books by singular prophets with unique characteristics, Historically, people have read these books as a unified whole, connected under the title of the Twelve Prophets or the Book of the Twelve. They have even appeared on a single scroll in archaeological finds. Dr. Chapman highlighted that as as early as 180 BCE, others referred to the Twelve Prophets, saying, they comforted the people of Jacob and delivered them with a confident hope. Dr. Chapman continued, that tells us something about the way this collection is understood, which stands in significant contrast to a lot of modern readings. Modern readings tend to focus on the judgment in the prophetic writings rather than the comfort and hope. Still, this comfort and hope was an important way the prophets were read by those in the ancient world. This surprised me when I heard this and has stayed with me as I've read these scriptures throughout the recent weeks. It forces me to ask myself again, where is the comfort in the scriptures that we heard? Where is the hope and the good news? In Amos, we are moving through a disorienting world where the needy are in our very gates and the powerful have no future. The Lord's instructions are ignored, and Amos shows us that we are out of our depth, drowning in the waters of our own poison. This might feel in some way familiar to those of us here in 2021. We too have had our world turned upside down, and yes, we are moving into an increasingly post-pandemic life, thanks be. But we are still staring at the ruins Of our sense of American exceptionalism, our institutional trust, our illusions of unconquerability. A virus has felled us. No matter how hard we try to move on, our hearts, our very bodies are still remembering what we have been through. As the world is opening back up, I don't know about you, but I hear friends and family saying things like, I want to be with other people, but I just get so tired and overwhelmed. They're surprised that even when vaccinated, they don't feel like rushing out to do every possible thing. It is important, extremely important, for us to remember that we have not been resting for 15 months. We have been frozen, trapped, in a state of stress, All of us. Yes, some of us have gone through this experience with layers of privilege and others with weights of oppression, but we all in some way have gone through something traumatic. We've been living like the disciples in our gospel passage today, tensed and coiled in the bottom of the boat while an unexpected storm rages all around The disciples in Mark's story are fishers. They are not stupid. They know how to read the weather and manage the boats, and yet this storm takes them by surprise. Any illusions of safety, any sense of their own identity as being competent fishermen might have been quickly, completely washed overboard. We too have been shocked by something we didn't realize would be as big or last as long as it has. Early on, we were waiting for the great moment we could all surge back together, and it's clear now that it's going to be a trickle rather than a flood. Some theologians use the language of apocalypse, or as it translates, the unveiling, to describe this time that we are in right now. Our illusions are crumbling, veils are getting stripped away, No matter how smart or powerful we might consider ourselves, we all have been tossed and turned on the seas of uncertainty, not knowing what the future would bring. We are now in a time when the ground beneath our feet is still shifting. Destruction has come upon our fortress. We have to relearn a whole new way of being. We are needing to rebuild our society Our healthcare system, our classrooms, our social fabric, our hearts, our minds, our bodies. I do not fully know how we will make meaning out of this pandemic in the months and years to come, but I do think Amos has some hope for us. Despite all our bribes and big towers, Despite all the lies of grind culture, we have never been as powerful or in control as we would like to believe. We are not omnipotent. This can give us comfort. Or as one spiritual director I heard put it this way, I have two pieces of good news for you. One, there is a savior of the world. Two, it is not you. In this deluge, we need to cling to this truth. We are not the savior of the world. We are not God. We have never been God. Indeed, we are called instead to seek the Lord, to seek the Lord and live. In Sound of Metal, Ruben, with the help of his girlfriend and his sponsor, makes his way to a community for deaf people. There he meets Joe, one of the leaders of the community. Joe is a veteran of the Vietnam War who was made deaf, losing, he lost his hearing when a bomb exploded near him. Joe recognizes in Ruben, a fellow recovering addict. Joe states firmly to Ruben that in this program, the job is not to fix people and their hearing. Ruben's job now is to learn how to be deaf. Ruben resists this, he shrugs it off and spends time barging around the community, twisting with energy and plans. Joe later sits him down, signing the whole time, as he does every time he speaks. Ruben, I've got an assignment for you. You wake up early, don't you? I'll have coffee waiting for you. 5.30, 5. I'll provide a room for you. And there is nothing that needs to be accomplished in this room. All I want you to do is just sit. Ruben scoffs, Joe continues. All I ask is if and when you cannot just sit. You turn yourself to the pen and the paper that I'm going to supply for you. And I want you to write. Doesn't matter what you write or how you write. Doesn't matter if it's spelled correctly or a big mess. But I want you to keep writing continuously, without stopping, until you find that you can sit again. And if at some point in the future, it feels like it's a little bit too difficult for you, you should come and find me. I'll be in my apartment doing the same thing as you, okay, Reuben? I'll be writing too. Reuben is re- learning how to rebuild a world that has crumbled into pieces, where he is not in control. Joe is teaching Reuben that he is not alone in the mess, that someone else is there just down the hall sitting on top of the dust heap. Our scriptures are showing us the same thing, that the way through the turbulence of our time, of our lives, is not to pretend that we are just fine. We are not called to fix everything with a fun party or a trip or a new exercise routine. The strongest fortress has crumbled. Thousands who have been sent out will not be coming back. We can no longer cling to the illusion that our gates are exceptional. Now is the time when we are called to sit and notice what we've lost and what we've destroyed. Now is the time to grieve over lost vineyards, to acknowledge our brutalized creation, to tear our robes at the oppression of the needy. We are not called to conquer the world. We are called to pay attention and seek God in the world, even as the dust is still clearing. The disciples in the Mark passage discover this as well. At the time of the story in Mark, Jesus' ministry is only just beginning. These disciples have only just begun to follow their new teacher around the Galilean region. They have seen him draw crowds and do amazing things. They've watched him with excitement. But the disciples have not yet realized that this is not about some local fame and power and healing acts. Jesus is up to something far more radical, transformative, far more terrifying and comforting. Jesus will not build them the biggest boat in which to ride out the storm. Jesus has joined them in the rising and the falling of the swells. Jesus has joined them in the same boat, in the midst of the same tumult, and the disciples discover that here is where the transformation begins. In the movie, we see Ruben slowly connect with people in the deaf community. He starts to find joy and purpose in his work and relationships. And yet, despite everything he experiences, Ruben still makes a decision, a very costly decision, to try and fix his hearing. He goes to Joe after that and sits down defensive and angry once again. As Joe watches, Reuben, tense with emotion, signs and spits out, I had to do something. I'm trying to save my life. No one else is gonna save it for me. If I sit here and diddle around, what am I gonna have? Nothing. What does it matter, all this? What does it matter? It just passes. It's okay, that's life. It just passes. It just passes. Joe looks at all of Reuben's coiled defensiveness and says, I wonder, all these mornings you've been in my study, sitting, have you had any moments of stillness? Because you're right, Reuben. The world does keep moving and it can be a darn cruel place, but for me, those moments of stillness, that is the kingdom of God. And that place will never abandon you. The movie doesn't end there, and I will let you watch the rest of the plot for yourself. But I will say this. We are given a moment of hope. Near the end, we see Reuben sit on a city bench along a busy boulevard. Children are shouting, church bells are chiming, cl- cars are rumbling past. We see Reuben look at the children. We see it hear the bells clang. We see him look at the, ch- the church tower. We see him look at the birds. And then it all goes silent. And finally, we see it a moment of stillness. Reuben is on a bench in the middle of a busy street as everyone whirls around him and he looks at the sky and at last we see Reuben sit and be still. Seek me and live. Christ is in the gate with the poor. He's on the rubble with the ruin. He is in the boat, tossed and tumbled. He is here with us now. May we seek him. May we be still, seek him, and live. Amen.